Hi, I'm Cheryl, and I'm part of the staff here at Menlo Church, and we're in a series we've entitled, You Were Made for This, talking about uh, what God made us for, what were we uniquely designed for. And we're grounding this in the book of Genesis, in actually just the first couple of chapters. And I know many of you know this, uh, but I wanted to remind you, we have a reading plan that goes along with this that will take you deeper into those two chapters in Genesis. You can find it on our website at menlo.church slash read Genesis. So I hope you'll get into that. We'll send you text messages, come straight to your phone, all that kind of stuff. But it's really been helpful for me personally just to go deeper in the scripture. Today, we're gonna to talk about something that we were made for, but oftentimes don't experience it maybe as we would hope for. And I wanna talk about that. But before we do, let me pray. Father, I just thank you for being present with us. I thank you for being our creator, God, a God who made us and designed us for your purposes, for our good. And we just pray as we open your word today that your spirit would speak to us through that word. We pray that our hearts and our minds would be engaged with what you have for us. And so we say, come and have your voice be louder than any other voice. And we pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, if you've been with us in this series, you know that in Genesis chapter one, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, we're going to be there. We'll have the passages on the screen as well. But if you've been with us, you know that in Genesis chapter 1, there's a phrase that's repeated over and over again. Genesis chapter 1 records God creating, and he creates the oceans. And it says, and he saw, and it was good. And then he creates animals, and it was good. And he creates humanity, and it is good. And he creates birds and fish, and it was good. And so throughout chapter one, we hear this refrain, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then you get to near the end of that chapter in verse 31, and it says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God delights in his creation. It's good, it's good, it's good. But then you head over to Genesis chapter two, and in verse 18, <clears throat> we see this. The Lord God said, it is not good. God in Genesis two creates man and he puts him in the garden. And for the first time we see something that is not good. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper for him. And we can get tripped up on the helper, but actually that word is used in other places in scripture for God himself. And we're gonna talk more next week about marriage and that relationship. But today I wanna talk about 
the fact that God has made us for meaningful relationships. It is not good to be alone. And the context of Genesis 1 and 2 actually tell us why this is. In chapter 1, we hear that we were made in the image of God. God created humans and he made them in his image, male and female. And to be in the image of God is to not be alone. God, and I, this is a mystery and I don't fully understand it myself, but God, the God of the scripture, this creator God has never been alone. We know him to be one God and yet three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. For all eternity, he has been in meaningful relationship. And we are created in his image to also be in meaningful relationship. The other thing that we see of why God created us and does not want us to be alone is that, one, we were made in the image of God, but also we were made for purposeful work. And we were made for a trusting relationship with God. Look at the, look at the scripture here in Genesis 2, 15. So we're going back up from that verse about not being alone. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. He gave him purposeful work. We talked about that last week. And then the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay, this is needs more unpacking, but we can say this. God was saying to the man, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide abundantly. There's a kabillion million trees, and you can eat from all of them. But I am going to ask you to demonstrate your trust in me, to demonstrate your faith by not eating from this one tree. So it says that the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden, gave him work to do. The Lord commanded him, you can, you're free to eat from all of these trees, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then, right then, we get that verse that says, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And I think there's something about the placement of that verse. God has given him purposeful work and he's given him the command to live in a trusting relationship with him. And I think God is saying, you can't do that alone. You can't do this purposeful work by yourself. You can't accomplish what I have for you on your own. You can't walk in faith. You can't walk in trusting me uh, without others. We need community. It's why we gather together as a church to worship, to hear the spoken word, to see one another, to interact. It's why we're starting what we call starting point. One of our campuses is starting today, actually, and then other campuses will be starting over the next week and a half or so. And starting point is an opportunity for you to learn about Menlo, what's our mission, why do we do what we do, but it's 
almost more importantly, it's a place for you to connect with others at your campus, to know and be known, to be in meaningful relationship. It's why we have life groups and Bible studies and all the things that we do so that we don't do it alone. We don't do it in isolation. But as I was studying these chapters and thinking through this, and I think the thing that I started to wrestle with was if God has made us for meaningful relationship, he does not want us to be alone, then why, why does there seem to be so much loneliness? Why would an all-powerful and good God allow for that? And so I kind of went down a little bit of a wormhole because it's so prevalent in our society. I, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal this past week, and the headline was this, Moms in Middle Age, Rarely Alone, Often Online, and Increasingly Lonely. The author noted that pre-pandemic conversations around loneliness typically focused on men, that there was a, what they called the loneliness epidemic amongst men. But during the lockdown, apparently these Gen X women have reported greater and greater degrees of loneliness. But we know this isn't just about the pandemic. As I was reading, I found out, you probably already knew this, but Britain in 2018, pre-pandemic, Britain assigned, they created a minister of loneliness. That's a job. Because they had done a study and a report had come out in 2017 that showed that over 9 million people in their country said that they often or always felt lonely. At the same time, another study came out in Britain that proved that loneliness was worse for health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is an experience that all of us, I would imagine to say, have, have had or do have or experience on a regular basis. And as you know, loneliness is not just about being alone, right? Sometimes the experience of loneliness can even feel more profound in a crowd or with a group. To be lonely in a marriage is crushing. Loneliness shows up all around us. Loneliness shows up when your friends are killing it financially and you've yet to own a home. Or maybe they're all heading up the proverbial ladder and you just lost your job. Loneliness shows up when you're the only woman in the boardroom. I know for many, loneliness shows up when you're uh, no longer married. You were married and maybe you lost a spouse, might have been through divorce or uh, loss or death. And suddenly you're not a part of the couple things anymore. The invitations start to dry up. Maybe you have been single all your life and you were never a part 
of the couples group, right? Loneliness can happen when you're a student and you're trying to find your people and it just doesn't seem like you fit in in any place. Or maybe you have your group, but when you're with them, you, you feel different. You don't really feel like they get you. Maybe it's imposter syndrome. You have all the degrees, you have all the experience, but at work you feel like you're gonna be found out as a fraud, right? I have a good friend whose whole life has been confined to a wheelchair and he has a bit of a speech impediment because of his condition. And he has schooled me in the world of loneliness. Loneliness is a state of feeling unknown, unseen, misunderstood, not valued, different. So if God has made us for meaningful relationships, why the loneliness? Right? And to understand that, we have to actually kind of go forward into Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, that's where we see what we call the condition of sin entering the world. I know we don't love the word sin, um, but it's, it's kind of important for understanding the power and the beauty and the love of God and why Jesus came and what he accomplished for us. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we see sin, uh, this power becoming a part of who we are and how we live. And how it came about was that that man and that woman in the garden uh, were offered an opportunity to live in trusting relationship with God. And what did they do? He said, don't eat of that one tree. You can eat of a kabillion others, but don't eat of that one and they chose to eat from it. They chose a path of not trusting God for their good. And with that, it's interesting to me, when they made that choice, what happened wasn't isolation. They were still together. God was still with them in the garden, but what came about was alienation. They were now suddenly alienated from one another because we're told earlier that the man and the woman were naked and unashamed. They were in a trusting relationship with, you, with one another. They were vulnerable, and not just sexually vulnerable, but they were relationally vulnerable. We can tend to, in our society, sexualize all experiences of intimacy, but they had an intimacy and a re meaningful relationship with one another that when sin entered the world, suddenly they were alienated. They had gone from being known to feeling unknown, from feeling seen to feeling unseen, from being understood to feeling misunderstood, from feeling valued to being unvalued. Because you see, sin is a movement away from dependence upon God and life together. And it's a movement toward independence and self-protection 
And what we saw in Genesis chapter 3, or what we see there, is we see blame. It's her fault. She made me do it. He made me do it. God, you made me do it, right? So what do we do with this? Humanity is now in this state of alienation. And I think with this alienation comes this loneliness. Now, of course, the good news is that Jesus comes to redeem all things, to take what is broken and make it whole. But we're on a journey, right? The scripture tells us that if you are in Christ, if you have come to be in relationship in Jesus, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and it is coming. And here's, here's where I think the tension is. We are new, and we're becoming new, and we will be completely new and completely whole when Christ ultimately returns again. So what do we do in the in-between? What do we do with this loneliness? And I've just kind of been wondering, maybe it's not an invitation to fight the lonely, but it's an invitation actually to allow Jesus to empower that loneliness, to allow Jesus to redeem, not remove, but to turn it to good. Wonder if loneliness is your superpower for the purposes of a good and loving God. I've been thinking about that because I know loneliness and I don't in any way wanna suggest that my experience of loneliness is like your experience. I don't know the loneliness of losing a child or a spouse. I don't know the loneliness of losing a job. I don't know the loneliness of feeling like the only parent who, but I know loneliness in my experience. For me, some of that has been, not all of it, but I'm single, never been married. That was not my intent. I know for some, and I bless this, for some, that's, that's a choice and, and it's celebrated. I thought I would be married. I thought I'd have four kids in a suburban. I lived in Texas for a long time. But there's a loneliness that has come with that at different seasons more profoundly in my life. I moved to Menlo to work at Menlo Church in February of 2020. I moved from Southern California and I knew two people in the Bay Area. And then we went into isolation. <laughs> there's been a loneliness. There's a loneliness for all of us that comes up in different places. And I think personally for me, I kind of am bent towards some loneliness. It might be in my personality makeup. And so because of that, I have specialized in SPS. Maybe you have too. Maybe you too have experienced SPS. Self-pity spiraling. SPS. I'm, I'm great at it. I'm fantastic at it. I can run to the self-pity spiraling so quickly, but I don't want to live there. 
And I remember there was a season in my life, years, about 120 years ago, uh, I was in my 20s, I was in my late 20s, and uh, I was going to, I was in a ton of weddings, and I was going to a ton of weddings, and then baby showers, and it was getting hard, just in my singleness and all that, and I remember I was sharing that with a friend, and she said, don't go, you don't have to go. And, and I, I think that's true. I think that's true for some people. But she said that, and it, at, the, at the moment, it felt kind of freeing. Yeah, I don't have to go. Um, but the next day, I was sitting with Jesus, and I just said, Lord, how do you see that? How do you see that for me? And I, I just sensed, not audibly, but I just sensed the Lord say, go. Go you can cry on the way home. <laughs> and I did sometimes. <laughs> I had a friend, a mentor, who we were all together and someone asked him, a um, bunch of us, uh, you know, how do you define love? And he said, you know, I really think love is celebrating the wins of others. The invitation to celebrate another person. He said, you know, I think sometimes it's actually easier to weep with those who weep and really, really hard to celebrate the win of somebody who's gotten something that you desire but have not yet received. And that is so stuck with me, that to love is to celebrate others' wins. And he went on and he said, you know, actually, I think, if you want to get real deep into love, it's not just to celebrate the wins of others, it's to create wins for others. You see, that was the invitation. That was when loneliness could become my superpower. I could look at the SPS, the self-pity syndrome, and say, how am I going to get out of this? And for me, getting out of it has been a single question, who can I love today? Who can I love today? Who can I show up for? Who might I encourage? Who could I celebrate? Who could I create a win for? Because as I start to spiral, if I can come up and look up and say, who can I love for me, that has changed everything. That has been the question that has made my loneliness my superpower. Because our superpower in loneliness can disrupt us toward love. Who can I love today? How can I receive the love of God for me today? How can I sit in his love Loneliness is the way of Jesus. Loneliness is the way of Jesus. There is nothing that Jesus accomplished for us that didn't come without his willingness to be lonely. Jesus stepped into loneliness so that we could have intimate access to God. Jesus stepped into loneliness 
to restore our true identity as image bearers. Jesus stepped into loneliness to rescue us from the power and the chaos of sin. When Jesus stepped into loneliness, he did a work of costly forgiveness and justice. Consider, consider his incarnation when Jesus became man, right? For God became flesh and dwelt among us, and that is Jesus. And when Jesus dwelt among us, he experienced being misunderstood. He experienced the ridicule of the religious leaders. He experience stepping right into his creation, into meaningful relationship with people he designed and being unknown. Consider Jesus in the garden, not the garden of Eden, but a different garden, the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of suffering, where Jesus stepped into the loneliness of saying to the Father, if there's any way for me to accomplish what you've sent me to do and to do it without the suffering, I'd sure like that. And the Father said no. Suffering's a part. And Jesus said yes to the suffering to the loneliness. Consider Jesus on the cross where we hear his words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For Jesus not to just stand at a distance and throw out justice and throw out forgiveness towards us, for for Jesus to be on the cross and to absorb and to experience his own alienation from the Father. And that is a mystery, and I don't fully understand it. But in it, he accomplished our salvation. I think it's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians when he wrote this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus willing to step into the loneliness of the cross. And what was suffering was also power. And when we begin to understand this, I think we then begin to also understand Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, for whose sake... I too want to enter into his sufferings. That's what he says. To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
I want to know Christ. To know the power of his resurrection. Participation in his suffering. Even if it means loneliness. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Because we were made for meaningful relationship to know and to be known by God himself through Christ, to be in relationship with one another, to ask that question, who can I love today? Would we be that kind of people, Menlo Church? Who can we love today? Oh, Father, would you give us the courage to do so? Would you help bring us out of our spirals of self-pity? Would you help us to see loneliness not necessarily as something that we have to fight, but a superpower that would push us and move us towards love? Thank you that your love is higher and wider and deeper than we can even fathom. And we thank you for it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.